team. Simple prayer for normal people. Uh, we've been introducing a, uh, a simple framework for prayer. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. This morning we'll talk about yield, but um, it's a, a simple framework developed by Pete Gregg where you pause the beginning of prayer just to remember who it is you're praying to, to, to silence the chatter, if you will, of the world and the frenetic pace many of us are living our lives and to just quiet and calm for a moment, to remember who it is that loves you and who it is that is inviting you into his presence, your Father in heaven, who's for you and not against you, who says, come to me, you're welcome here with me. And then rejoice, which is to begin with thanksgiving, to begin with praise. Who is this God? Tell him who he is. Many of the prayers of the, of the scripture are just telling God stuff he already knows about himself, um, but it orients our hearts. And, and thank him for the good gifts in your life. It or, it, it, to begin this way orients a relationship of dependence on him, of gratitude, of filling our hearts with gratitude. And then last week we talked about asking. That many of us, that's what we, when we think about prayer, that's what we think about is praying is asking God for stuff. And um, the encouragement was to consistently bring specific requests to an actual person, to our actual Father in heaven, expecting to be heard. This morning, we're going to talk about yield. That as we conclude our prayers, that we say yes to God and we submit ourselves to him. That we uh, say, yes, my life is in your hands and I want to do your will. I don't want to seek my own way and my own will, but I want to, like the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, say, as I present this request to you, not my will, but your will be done. There's really three uh, phrases in the Lord's Prayer. Many of us uh, know the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in response to their uh, request. Lord, would you teach us to pray? And, uh, and so, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think three of those, three of those phrases are really a kind of yielding uh, to God. And I'm going to talk about those three phrases this morning. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then lastly, which is probably in addition to the Lord's Prayer um, after he taught it, but yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So first of all, forgive us as we forgive. Jesus, when he uh, taught his disciples to pray, just said, has this bold request, forgive us our debts. Or some translations would say, forgive us our trespasses. Debts is probably a better translation. But asking God, our Father in heaven, for forgiveness for our, the ways in which we have fallen short of the ideal that he has for us, and the ways in which we have trespassed and broken his law, his moral law, of right and wrong, of, the, of, of, not, of failing to live up to the glory, of falling short of his glory, that we haven't lived into the vision he has for us when he made us, of living lives of beauty and justice, goodness and truth, that we have fallen short of that. You see, to ask for forgiveness is to admit that we need it, right? 
to ask, to, to pray, forgive us, forgive me, is to admit our need, our need for it. It is a confession of sin. Tied up in this request for, for forgiveness is a confession of sin. To come out of hiding and to begin to agree with God about who you are and what you've done. To agree with God about your sin. No excuses. No blame shifting. Forgive us our debts. Would you wipe the slate clean? It's an accounting term. I owe you. I've borrowed, I've borrowed far more than I can pay back. Would you wipe the slate clean? Forgive us our debts. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. It's a well-known story that Jesus told of a young man who had said to his father, give me my inheritance now because uh, I kind of wish you were dead. I'm, I'm done being your son right now. And he, he takes his half of the inheritance that he would receive upon his father's death. He gets it in advance and he goes off and he squanders it on riotous living. And he's living in squalor. He's destitute. And and you remember he he rehearses what he's going to. He says, you know, why, why am I why am I living in this? My father's servants have it much better off than I do right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Take me. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but take me as your servant. He doesn't say this to his father. This is him rehearsing. This is what I'm going to say to my father. And so he. He goes and returns, and the father sees him a long way off and runs to him. And does he even get to say his speech? No, he doesn't even get to, he doesn't even get those words out of his mouth. We know what was in his heart. We, we know that there is a confession of sin in his heart, right? Because he's rehearsing, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I've, I've done it. No excuses, no blame shifting, no, I have sinned. But the father wraps his arms around him and welcomes him home and, and welcomes him not as a servant, but as a son. See, Pete Greg, Greg says, it doesn't matter what you've said or done, what you've thought about saying or doing, where you've been or who you've been there with. There is more grace of God in God than sin in you. No matter what you've done, there's more grace in God then there is sin in you. And that's good news. You know, that means that we don't need to first fix up our lives before we come to the Father. Right, sometimes, like, when I've said something I shouldn't have said, when I've done something I shouldn't have done, when I failed to do something that I should have done, I'm like, well, I better fix things up. I better repair things first before I pray about it. That's the spirit of religion and self-righteousness, not the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace says, I must go to my father. I, like the son, like the prodigal son, I will arise and go to my father. Forgive me. Forgive us. If we say we have no sin... We're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. 
But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, he's faithful to forgive sin when we confess it, when we just agree with him. That's what confess means, to agree with God about it. Yes, I've fallen short. Yes, I've crossed the boundary. He's faithful. He will do it every time. That's what that means, faithful. He's promised it, he will do it. And wonder of wonders, he's also righteous to do it. It's just of God to do it. It is right for him to forgive us of our sin because he has covered it in the blood of Jesus. That sin has been paid for in the, on the cross of Christ. And so it would actually be unjust of God to punish that sin twice, to punish it in Jesus and then punish it in you. He is righteous. He is, he is just. It is right for him to forgive our sin. You see, confession is good for the soul, as it says. Many of you, many of you have maybe read Chuck Colson's book. Remember Chuck Colson? Going back a generation. Chuck Colson was involved in the, the Watergate scandal with President Nixon in the United States. Um, President Nixon, for those of you who are younger, um, was the only president to kind of like lose office because of, you know, this, this scandal. Chuck Colson was deeply involved. He actually went to prison for his involvement in it. But as he was, he, and he tells his, and, and, and throughout that, that downfall, he became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote a book called Born Again. And he, he says, when he finally confessed to God, he says, I prayed my first prayer, my first real prayer. You see, when we confess our sin, when we say, forgive us, is when we begin to pray. Because if we are hiding our sin, if we're excusing, if we're blame shifting, if we're saying we have no sin, we're not walking in the truth. We're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. And so as we pray, we pray, forgive us. Many have found it helpful to review the day in the evening, maybe before bed, to think back on the, the, the events of the day and to, to both see the presence of God and give thanks for the good gifts in your life in that day, to see him in the ordinary and the extraordinary events of the day, but also to review where have I fallen short, how have I sinned, how have I crossed the line, and to repent, to confess, and again receive the mercy and grace of Jesus. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. It's, it seems like a pretty big caveat, doesn't it? Forgive us in this, of our sins in the same way that we forgive those who sin against us. So treat us, God, like we treat those who've sinned against us. Just... Just follow our example. Take our lead, God. Like it's almost it's what it sounds like, right? Like, I'm so gracious to the people around me, so could you treat me the same way? 
That's almost what we can think. Jesus, Matthew 18, tells, tells a parable. Uh, it's, it's often called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And um, there's a man who owes an incredible debt, right? an unpayable debt. And like he would not be, the, if he worked the rest of the days of his life, he would not be able to earn enough money to, if he used every cent that he earned, the rest of his life would not, wouldn't pay off this debt. He has this incredible debt to, to, uh, to a king and that king forgives him of his debt. But he leaves that meeting that, uh, with the king and he finds someone who owes him 10 bucks. And he's like, pay me back. If you don't, I'm throwing you in jail. That king hears about the way this servant is treating someone who owes him some money and says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to be. I'm not going to unpack that parable in its fullness uh, today. I, it, uh, the last book that Tim Keller wrote before he died is a book on forgiveness, and he spends at least a couple of chapters unpacking this parable. But the gist of it is this. And so I, I'd recommend that book. It's called Forgiveness. Um, if we have experienced the magnitude of our forgiveness through Jesus... Like if we have begin to understand the debt we owe our Father and how far, far short of the glory of God we've fallen, if we begin to grasp the enormity of the debt He has forgiven us through Christ, we will become increasingly forgiving people of others. And if we don't forgive others, what we are doing is demonstrating that we have not experienced the enormity of the debt that we've been forgiven of. We are just revealing our ignorance of the grace of Christ. But as we begin to experience more and more just how great the love of the Father is, and just how massive the forgiveness is that we have received in Jesus, that will necessarily work itself out in our lives as we become increasingly forgiving people. And if we are not, all we are doing is demonstrating that we haven't grasped the gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness that's ours in Christ. And so... A string of broken and unreconciled relationships in our lives is a warning sign for us. Right? A string of unreconciled relationships and an unwillingness to restore and reconcile and forgive is a warning sign. Have I grasped what God has done for me? forgive us our sins, we confess our sins, and we receive the forgiveness of Jesus, which is a yielding to God. It is a yielding to God to forgive us our sin. It's a confessing of our unworthiness. It's a confessing of our falling short. 
And it's an asking for forgiveness. It's a put, I throw myself at your mercy. I'm at your mercy, God. There's a yielding attitude. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. C.S. Lewis wrote, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That's from mere Christianity. See, to pray to the Father is to pick a side in that cosmic battle between good and evil. It is to, to declare allegiance to the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, who will rule forever and ever. We do have an enemy in this world who is evil. He is a liar, a thief, an accuser, and a destroyer. And there are spiritual powers at work in our world that have an effect on cultures and organizations and individuals. And to yield to God and to his kingdom is to ask for deliverance from the evil one. And to ask for discernment so that we would discern the spirits, so that we would discern what is going on in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones and in the world around us. That we would understand that, that what we see is not all that there is. That there is an evil force behind so much of, of the brokenness and the fallenness that's so obvious to us. Yes, yeah, so much of so much of the brokenness and and the in this world is not explainable just by human actions. But there is a dark force behind it all. And so to pray to the Father is to declare allegiance and to yield to his kingdom and say, I am on this side. And to ask for deliverance from him because he is the one who is mighty to save. And to ask for discernment, to know how to pray. And we pray with authority. Um, I've talked about, we've preached about demons a fair bit, especially as we've been going through Matthew's gospel and Jesus has been cast. Um, and, but, and, and we're going to keep going, coming back to that as we continue through Matthew's gospel. But this morning I just want to remind us that we do not pray cowering in fear, but we pray from a place of authority. Not in our own authority, but because of where we are placed in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 um, the book of Ephesians is a great book on spiritual warfare. It ends, as you, as you may know, with the, the armor of God and how to stand firm against the evil one, you know, with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes that are fit with the gospel of peace. But it starts, Ephesians 1 starts with our place in Christ, that he has known us, and he has chosen us, that he has set his love on us, that we have received an inheritance in Christ and that our place is 
in Christ. That is our status. We are united with Jesus. We experience union with Christ. And so when he is at the right hand of the Father, we are there with him because we are united with him inseparably. And Paul, Paul prays at the end of Ephesians 1, he says, I'm, I'm thanking you and I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and the knowledge of Christ. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know what's the hope of his calling, what's the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. I want you to know, Paul says, I'm praying that you would know how great his power is. That's at work for you. It's not against you, it's for you. And it's towards us who believe. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you and for you. And he seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every evil power, every evil force, Jesus, way above them. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He subjected everything under his feet. What's under Jesus' feet? Everything. Everything is subjected under the feet of Jesus. And the Father has appointed him as head over everything, listen, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills every, all things in every way. Everything under the feet of Jesus. So think about Jesus for a second here. There's his feet. What's under his feet? Everything, every evil power under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is the head. We are the body. Where, where are, positionally, where are all those evil powers? They are under the feet of Jesus. And we are united to him. Every evil power. Subject to the name and power and authority of Jesus. And so we pray, deliver us from the evil one, not cowering in fear, but with authority, not with our own authority, not because we're awesome and strong, but because we've been united with Christ and he's awesome and he's been risen from the dead and he's the son of God. He's the one who is sitting at the right hand of the father in heaven. And because he is, we are there too. And so we are not victims in this world, but we are to pray with authority and in the strength, in the name of Christ. That's good, right? That's good news. That's very good. All right. And then finally, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Yielding to God is to submit to him. To say, it's yours. The kingdom, it's yours. The power, yours. The glory, yours. I'm yours. I am yours. I belong to you. Andrew Murray writes this. He says, The Spirit teaches me to yield my will entirely to the will of the Father. That's good. The Spirit of, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, teaches me to yield my will entirely to the will of the Father. He opens my ear to wait in great 
gentleness and teachableness of soul for what the Father has day by day to speak and teach. He's saying the Spirit of God is impressing on me to wait with anticipation for what the Father has to say to me day by day. He's going to speak to me. He's going to teach me. He continues, he says, he discovers to me, this is the Spirit of God, he discovers to me how union with God's will is union with God himself. How entire surrender to God's will is the Father's claim, the Son's example, and the true blessedness of the soul. It's the Son's example. It's Jesus' example, right? He said, not my will, but your will be done. It's the Father's claim on us. But we to, to yield ourselves to the Father, to surrender to his will, requires faith, right? That his will for us is good. To say, not my will, but your will be done, is to humble ourselves and say, you know what? You know better. I think I know think I know how my life should go and how I want my life to go, but you know better. You know better. It's to begin to pray with Jesus, your will be done. Richard Foster, in his book on prayer, says, do you know what a great freedom this crucifixion of the will is? This dying to our own, getting our own way? It means freedom from the self-sins. Self-sufficiency, self-pity, self-absorption, self-abuse, self-aggrandizement, self-castigation, self-deception, self-exaltation, self-deprecation, self-indulgence, self-hatred, and a host of others just like them. It means freedom from the everlasting burden of always having to get our own way. It means freedom to care for others, to genuinely put their needs first, to give joyfully and freely. To yield to the Father is to say, I'm trusting in you, in your will, in my life. I've presented my requests to you. I've asked you for things, specific things. Things that I believe are in accordance with your will for me. Things that I think you've promised, but ultimately, Father, your will in my life be done. I I am yours. I belong to you. You will bring me home. You will lead me all the way. Your will for me will be good. And so we're praying there not for the obliteration of our will. It's not like, you, like our personhood is diminished. It's for the transformation of our will so that we begin to will the same thing as the Father in heaven. It's to, over time, little by little and slowly but surely, release our hopes and our dreams our ambitions, our family, our loved ones, our very self to him and asking that the character of Christ would be formed in me, that Christ would be formed in me so that I begin to, be, to will the things that he will, desire the things that he desires, to love the things that he loves, to oppose the things that he hates so that his will increasingly becomes my will. And friends, that crawls along. Most often, that's not like a lightning bolt transformation. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, surrendering to the will of our God. And little by little, inch by inch, maybe centimeter by centimeter, 
that transformation takes place. Decade after decade. I want to share uh, a prayer of surrender that I've begun praying daily. I was uh, sharing with a friend. uh, His name's Trevor Seath. Some of you know him. I was just saying that we were talking about our prayer lives, and I said, you know, I think I'm I'm starting to write a prayer that I'm going to pray every morning um, because I think I just need to repeat a few things that, that I want to see happen in my life over a long period of time. He says, well, I've just started doing that myself. He says, let me share with you the prayer that that I've wrote and have begun to, to pray. So I've taken his uh, prayer and I've adapted it slightly in different parts to what I think the Lord is leading me into. I just want to give credit there to Trevor. Um, and so I'm going to close with this prayer of surrender. And I invite you to pray it with me. So let's pray. I will arise and go to my Father, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jesus, you emptied yourself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. In light of your mercy and grace, I give myself to you today as a living sacrifice. Take my mind, Lord. Guard my thoughts against the accusations and temptations of Satan by the blood and in the name of King Jesus. Empower me to take every thought captive and submit it to the Lordship of Christ. Fill my mind with what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and praiseworthy. Take my eyes, Lord. Allow me to see you, Jesus, and to perceive the realities of your kingdom all around me. Keep my focus on pure things. Grant me keen insight into the beauty of your creation and allow me to see your image in every person I encounter. Take my ears, Lord. May I hear you clearly as I read your word. Grant me sensitivity to the encouragement, prompting, conviction, and direction from your Holy Spirit moment by moment throughout today. Help me show love by listening to others well. Take my mouth, Lord. Give me the grace to keep it shut. Stop me from lashing out with cutting, hurtful, cynical, or defensive words. Rather, make me slow to speak and fill my mouth with praise, joy, encouragement, humility, wisdom, kindness, and truth, all for your glory. Take my hands and feet, Lord. May all my strength, gifting, and talent be subject to you and under the control of your spirit. Make me a servant of others for your namesake and grant me strength and diligence to persevere in all good work that you've prepared for me. Take my heart, Lord. Own my motives, my affections, my passions, my desires. Widen the welcome of my heart to receive you. Deepen the devotion of my heart to hold fast to you. Heighten the delight of my heart to know and please you. All this I pray that you alone, triune God, may be worshipped, exalted, and glorified in my life today. Amen.